in my second year of college, I made the decision that I was going to take my life. I made a suicide attempt and I recovered from it. And once I recovered from it, I took that as a sign that there was a purpose for my life. You know, I took that second chance very seriously and I did not know how I was going to roll things out. To be honest, I didn't have a game plan at the beginning, but I trusted that I would figure it out. And I also trusted that when I took a risk by dropping out of school, I did trust that God would put out a safety net to catch me. Hi there, it's Sewa and welcome to episode 59 of the She's Off Script podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Pollyanna Reed. The thing that reeled me into her story was her transparency. In her own words, she didn't want anyone to ever hold her past over her head, so she shares it all in hopes of helping others. Fast forward to today, Pollyanna is a master networker and storyteller. She has made a business of helping politicians, senior executives, and celebrities tell their stories and build their platforms through her company, The Writer's Block. She has also mentored over 200 women in nine countries through her mentorship program, New Girl on the Block. As if that wasn't enough, she is also a senior contributor at Forbes. Having a personal brand gives you power. It gives you leverage, right? You are able to justify why you are the best in your market, the knowledge that you know, like why you're an authority in your industry. And cool, smart, interesting people are attracted to cool, smart, interesting people. So it's like, it also allows you to showcase, like I'm not one dimensional. I like canoeing and I like knitting and I take real estate courses part-time in addition to what you guys see. During our conversation, we talked about her journey to building not one, but two successful businesses, her transition from the corporate world to entrepreneurship. And then to round out our conversation, she gives us a mini workshop on brand building, particularly from the perspective of side hustlers in the corporate space. Before we hear the rest of Pollyanna's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Pollyanna's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with speaker, writer, and mentor, Pollyanna Reed. Pollyanna Reed, welcome to She's Off-Script. How are you? Good, how are you? I am doing well. So for anyone who hasn't come across you on Instagram or YouTube, could you share who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Paulina Reed and I am a millennial woman who has fought for her dreams and won. I am a journalist, a celebrity ghostwriter, public speaker, and a millennial mentor. You know, when I first came across your profile online, I was just struck by how transparent you are. You're so transparent that you wrote a book sharing the challenges that molded you into the woman who you are today. So could you share some of those with us? Yeah, absolutely. I think that women across the board, we struggle with self-doubt. We struggle with um, living up to the expectations of our parents or of our friends, um, you know, societal norms. And so for me, my biggest struggle was just you know, fighting those voices inside my head that would combat whether or not I could execute my idea. I've always been a big dreamer. My belief is that the world is built by dreamers. And so when you are a creative at heart, you feel misunderstood because I think 
um, society conditions us to believe that we only have to do things one way. Mm-hmm. And I think dreamers like myself, we see so many different avenues to the same solution. And so I had to combat family, friends, people that I love the most, um, really just shitting on my dreams and not thinking that I could push past. Um, because here's the thing, right? Like on paper, traditionally speaking, I should not be where I am, right? Like I'm someone who lives with a mental illness. I'm someone who dropped out of college. I failed grade 11 and 12 English. So it literally, the dots don't connect, right? However, I am someone who looks beyond the limits of my circumstances, right? Even though the roadmap doesn't make sense, like I still believe that I could get to where I wanted. And I think it's that high belief in myself that really helps me continue to thrive every day. Following through your storyline, I know you dropped out of college and I'm sure coming from your background, so pastor's kid growing up in the church, growing up in a Caribbean household, which is very much like an African household, as far as, you know, they've mapped out a roadmap for you. There's an idea of success and a very low tolerance for taking risk. So given that then you went and you dropped out of college and you thought, I'm going to do things my way. How did you think through those next steps and then also drown out that inevitable criticism from family and community? Yeah, absolutely. So I began my relationship with depression and anxiety from a very young age, right? So I was day raped in grade nine. I got pregnant when I was 17. So what's that like maybe get 11 ish. Um, I was in a physically abusive relationship. And so I made some very poor choices when it came to friendships, relationships. Um, and I was bullied a lot as a kid. So I was making decisions based on the fact that I wanted to fit into certain cliques and environments. Okay. So because of these traumatic situations, I was going into the next phase of my life, one of the most important phases of my life, already feeling down and out. Okay. So couple that with having the desire to become a writer or pursue journalism or communications and having your parents tell you, no, you're going to do something that is safe because you are black, you are a woman and you are young. Right. So I enter a college program that I absolutely don't like. Um, I'm not completely satisfied because I know at the end of the day, it's going to results in a cubicle job. And I just knew that there was more for me, you know, but no matter how many times I would scream, like people would just be like, whatever. Mm. Um, so things got really bad. Like in the beginning, I was kind of like, you know what, maybe I can do this. You know, it's, I, you know, I met a few friends. Um, but then my second year I crashed and burned. My second year is when things got worse. Um, I hit the pits of my depression. I missed several weeks of school. Um, I wasn't delivering on my assignments. I wasn't socializing. Um, A lot of the tasks that many people take for granted, simple tasks like brushing my teeth, taking a shower. Like I was just really, really down. Um, In my second year of college, I made the decision that I was going to take my life. I made a suicide attempt and I recovered from it. And once I recovered from it, I took that as a sign that there was a purpose for my life. You know, I took that second chance um, very seriously and I did not know how I was going to roll things out, to be honest. I didn't have a game plan at the beginning, um, but I trusted that I would figure it out. And I also trusted that when I took a risk by dropping out of school, I did trust that God would put out a safety net to catch me. Now, 
whether that roadmap turned into a few years or a decade, it didn't matter how long it took me to get to the final destination. All I knew is that I was on the path to get there. One of my first steps I took was acquiring two mentors, uh, Shanae Ingleton and Shannon Boudram. And so they've been in my life for 10 years. Um, our mentorship relationship has expanded a decade. And so in the beginning, I mean, they were, they believed in me on days I didn't believe in myself. And um, I'm a big advocate for mentorship. And so that was the first step. The second step was being concrete with what I want, having a vision, creating a vision board. Um, one thing I do want to say is you can you can have a million to-do lists, you can make a million vision boards, but if you don't truly feel what you want to experience, it'll never manifest into form. Mm-hmm. And so um, I visualized a lot of my goals. You know, I saw them before I created them and um, slowly but sure, surely, one by one, I started knocking things out. So once you knew what you wanted to do, it didn't matter what anyone else said. You already had set your mind to yeah, it. So it really, at that point, I think when you, when you have experienced such a extreme, right. To the point where like, you are willing to either pursue your art or die. Mm. Like that's not something to be taken lightly. That's not something like, you know what I mean? For me, it was like, okay, now that I'm here, like there is no other option. You know what I mean? Like now that we're like actually doing this, like it doesn't matter what anyone says. And me and my parents have this conversation quite often. Like if I had listened to them or anyone else for that matter, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am today. And I think a lot of people will project their own fear on you um, simply because they don't have the capacity to pursue the risks that you want to pursue. So they want to cage you up or put limitations on you. Um, And it's really up to you. Like you have the choice whether you want to listen or you want to move past it. And so I just chose to look way beyond what anyone else said. I can see that mentorship has impacted your life in so many ways that you have made it one of your platforms. And I know you've talked about the ability of mentorship just to propel you to the next level. Could you share how that's played out at different points in your journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I got started in journalism when I was 21 because of one of my mentors, Um, Shanae Ingleton. She encouraged me to start a blog. She was the first person who stepped to me and she's like, if you want to write, then you need to show people that you you can actually do this. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a difference between your self-worth and market value, right? Amanda Seals says this all the time. So like self-worth is like, yo, I know I'm dope. I know I have gifts. I know I'm talented, but what is my value in the marketplace? And so you can't establish that if no one knows who the hell you are. Mm-hmm. And so... For me, I started the blog. I worked tirelessly and passionately and consistently for about a year. Um, My mentor then picks up the phone, calls me, and she's like, hey, I have an opportunity for you that would catapult you to the next level. She then sponsored a introduction between the editor-in-chief and myself um, of a a large publishing house here in Toronto. And um, for the next three or four years, I was a freelance journalist interviewing celebrities, talking about politics and world issues and fashion and lifestyle and travel. Um, And I was writing articles for every major newspaper across the country. my mentors double as sponsors as well, which is, you know, there's a big difference. Mentors guide your steps, pat you on the back. Sponsors advocate for you when you are not in the room. Sponsors pick up the phone and, you know, make that call. They send email introductions. They, you know, because a lot of the big decisions happen when you're not there and sponsors are able to raise their hands and 
you know, plug you in. Um, and many, many, many of my mentors have done that. I currently have six. Um, another mentor, Shannon Boudram, I've known her for equally the same amount of time. She connected, she helped me with my first book, Everything I Couldn't Tell My Mother. She was very instrumental. She read the chapters, she edited the chapters, she connected me with her literary agent. Again, sponsorship, right? Like there have been countless opportunities in my career. The reason why I'm at Forbes, sponsorships. Someone invited me to a Forbes event, not someone, my mentor invited me to a Forbes event that I probably would not have been invited because I didn't, I didn't know anyone in those circles, sponsorship, right? So like, I'm very, it, it breaks my heart when I meet women, especially women of color who have not yet, um, experienced the advantages, um, that comes along with mentorship, um, have not yet connected with anyone who they would see, as a mentor or role model. Um, and it just means that like, you know, they need to change their circles. You have to go where these influential people are. And so I've always entered environments where I knew I was going to be incredibly inspired or moved to act. Um, and I always raised my hand. So how do you do that then? How do you find those first mentors? How do you identify those correct environments to enter? I mean, how do you identify a romantic partner or a friend, right? You have to ask yourself, what do you value in someone that you'd like to mentor you, right? Um, and then once you, once you evaluate that value system, then you have to, it's almost like you will run into them organically, right? If you go to conferences, if you go to the library, if you go to, if you watch talks online, TED Talks, or, like you will organically... I'm a firm believer that what you put, like the energy that you put out into the world of the universe, like it'll give you back that tenfold. And so for me, like I went to an event or I was on Facebook, like I bumped into my mentors digitally or in person or very organically. And then once I made that decision that I wanted this person to be in my life, there's still work to do. I think a lot of people, the biggest mistake that they make is that they have the sense of entitlement that people should help them. Mm. No, 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 no. You have to earn that right. You have to earn sponsorship and mentorship. People need to see that you've already exhausted all of your resources and they're the one thing that you need to get you to that next level, which means that you're going to YouTube and Google University. You are creating a portfolio of your own. It means that you are tapping into your network. It means that you're doing every single thing that you can, right? Um, including studying the person that you want to mentor you so you can ask purposeful, smart questions. You're not walking up to them and asking, hey, how do I network? Mm -hmm. Or you're not asking them basic questions. I'm a, I definitely believe that there are such things as dumb questions. People are, I won't say people, it's a big blanket statement. Many, um, because I mentor for a living, I've been doing this a very long time. Many young adults that I come across and that inter I interact with, the work ethic is just not there. They're lazy. And like that's single-handedly one of the, you know, the reason why they're not where they want to be. They lack critical thinking skills. They lack, you know, they're, they're risk averse, right? They, they have, they don't have the ability to problem solve. And these are all things that we have been taught in grade school, two, mm -hmm. three, four, but somewhere in the mix, somewhere, you know, in the matrix, we lose them. And you cannot step to a million dollar brand. You cannot step to a billion dollar man, woman, and be playing around. Mm -hmm. They like they don't have time. They will shut you down. You will get blacklisted. Like you really need to calculate your steps so that they see you and they know that you're worth investing in. 
within minutes of speaking with you or to you, anyone can sense that you know how to share your story and you do it with confidence. Um, which is why I think your business, The Writer's Block, fits so perfectly into your brand. And so for our audience that hasn't heard of The Writer's Block, could you share what The Writer's Block is? Yeah. So The Writer's Block is work that I'm so excited about. I think that it's important to do work that literally moves you out of bed every morning. Mm. Um, When I was in, not when I was, I've been a journalist for 10 years. And I, at some point I had to ask myself, are you still going to be happy and excited and jumping out of bed every morning in the next 10 years? And I was like, I don't think so. Honestly, like I don't necessarily want to be a journalist for the rest of my life. And so I had to think about my business model. I had to think about the things that was currently on my plate and how I wanted to shake things up um, so that every single day would be different. And so I picked up an article. I read a lot. I consume a lot of content. And I picked up an article in Forbes many years ago. It might've been like 2003 or something. 13, 2003, I don't know, a long time ago. And it was about a woman who dropped out of school and she was making a six-figure living um, ghostwriting books for high-profile people. And so I kind of tucked it away. Excuse me. I tucked it away. And I'm a firm believer in timing. Just because you have an idea, it does not mean you need to water it and nurture it that same day. Mm -hmm. So I literally took this idea away for quite a few years until it was the right time and I could clear my plate and I had the time to pursue it. Um, And that manifested into a ghostwriting agency of my own. Um, It manifested into an agency that affords me the ability to travel. I split my time between Toronto, New York, and LA. Um, I have an incredible team of content ninjas and we thoroughly enjoy working with celebrities, politicians, athletes, entertainment moguls, um, and helping them helping them push their ideas forward because um, these individuals are shaping the future and also helping them turn their personal stories into powerful brand assets. So my firm, we specialize in books and keynote speeches, but there are times where we will help with you know, a bio, website copy, um, or like a pitch deck. I'm specifically interested in the work that you do with corporate executives because I have to say one of my biggest regrets over the past decade was not being intentional about building a platform for myself while I was working a corporate job. I wasn't intentional about joining social conversations that were important to me. I didn't really join them in a meaningful way. And I would say for myself and other corporate queens that I've talked to, it's because of one of three reasons, let's say. So they don't want their managers and their colleagues all up in their personal business, um, or they just don't know how to navigate that tightrope of, you know, growing their online presence without raising eyebrows, you know, at their work, right? I literally just, everything you're saying is so, yeah. it's interesting. I think you, I think, not you, but in you, general, like, yeah much. I just didn't care. Like I literally didn't care. Like I had my functioning website, my Instagram was popping. Like I had, I was still, I was going into meeting rooms and taking my own business calls, my own client calls in meeting rooms. (laughs) My boss would pull up and be like, what are you doing? And like, I will say this, I have been so fortunate to enter interviews at these establishments and I was transparent from the jump. I mean, honestly, in the last decade with Google, like they can look you up anyway. Mm -hmm. So they're about to 
find out. And I did, I think people need to reevaluate why they're working where they're working. Because for me, it wasn't, so I think a lot of people chase the money. Like I want to work here because it pays me the most. Where for me, it was, I was more concerned about, can I be transparent? Are my bosses going to be mentors? Are they going to teach me things about business? Um, I was concerned about the company culture. I was concerned about, you know, is it like a open office environment, which a lot of like uh, new age, modern office spaces are, mm-hmm. or can I work quietly in the corner of the office in a cubicle and run my own company? Is anyone going to be looking at my computer screen? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so pause, I, pause there. So I, I want to be able to digest this. So you're saying number one, people care too much what other people think. Yeah. And number two, you really need to evaluate where you're working and why you're working there. So are you- A lot of people work work where they're working because of money. Mm, Not not thinking, does it really align with what your future goals are? Yeah, because the thing is, if you, if you, let's say a priority of mine was that my bosses were acting as mentors to me. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to be in a learning environment. That was more because I knew that if I could obtain all of this knowledge, I was going to eventually make the money that I wanted anyways. Right. So like short term sacrifice for a long term gain. Mm -hmm. What does transparency look like then? You said, yeah, they can Google me anywhere. So what is that conversation like? I'm coming in to work for you, yet I have all these side hustles going. How do you navigate that conversation? Transparency looks like, listen, I'm a valuable asset and you would be dumb not to, not to hire me because I bring so much more than the average employee to the table that like, I have a network that you don't have, that you currently don't have access to. I have skills that can help in other areas of the department, right? I'm very articulate. You know what I mean? I come with the heat. I come with the energy. And so like a lot of them, you know, they would find it funny and we'd have that rapport. And like, I just came across with confidence in any organization that did not value the fact that I had side hustles. I don't want to work for you anyways. Mm-hmm. Again, it's about what is your value system? What are you fighting for? What are you standing on? For me, it's like, you, you are not going to pay me what I'm actually worth. You pay me what you can afford. So you cannot tell me that I can't have any outside income, Right. That's the thing. When you look at that dollar amount on your corporate contract, that is what they can afford. It doesn't amount to anyone's true value. If you really think about it, right? And like corporate jobs, like they determine your salary. They don't determine your whole income. So I used to tell my boss all the time, like, you know, and the thing is my last job, I was there for four years. I had already came, I came in at my financial cap, at my salary cap. So like, where was... So yeah, you have to like you have to allow me to make additional income because I've already hit my ceiling. Like, what? How are you going to justify it? How are you going to justify me not? I think it's just really important to just look at other factors. Another thing that I was very uh, lucky to have, fortunate to have, was my job had unlimited vacation. Some companies do that because they're trying to retain millennial employees, mm-hmm. right? So as long as your manager approved, you were allowed to take as many, as much time off, as long as you were still plugged in, obviously Mm -hmm. you got your work done. So I looked for other factors beyond money. And I think that's why the year I ended up the year prior to, so I, I left January, 2019. So 2018, the income that I had, I'd already built a six figure business of my own before I quit. So it sounds like mindset is the first thing is the first block that you need to get over. 
once you acknowledge where you're trying to go, you look at things differently, you look for jobs differently, and you operate differently as an employee. But I also love how you said they're capping your earning potential if that's your only source of income. This year, I'm very into multiple sources of revenue and legacy building activities. So being in it for the long haul. Quite frankly, corporate jobs are fleeting. People go bankrupt. People, you know, have cuts and layoffs all the time. And you don't you don't want to be caught with that as your your sole source of income and then having nothing else. So I love that. Transparency I'm talking about, like, why step to your boss and tell him that? Like I literally we would have these hard conversations. Like if I told my boss, listen, if you had to choose, you would definitely, and like, if you had to choose between me and like, like you would cut me. Like if you had to cut me, you would cut me. Mm-hmm. Then what am I going to do? He's like, uh, 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 like, you know, right. We had that rapport where I had, I worked for several senior leaders. So like I was transparent from the jump. And I think that it's also important if you are going to have side hustles, make sure you are working your ass off at your corporate job. So they not, they don't question you mm-hmm. or they don't don't have a reason to cut you or to disregard you because I was the first one in the office, the last one to leave. I made sure that I got all my work done. So you do have there, like it's, it's going to be challenging for a period of time. Most definitely. Okay. So then that's table stakes, but could you share in working with your clients? What is the value of having and building an online presence and platform, even as a corporate employee? For the purpose of planting seeds and building relationships, I think... So for me, I don't have an educational background. My daddy's not rich. I don't date a ball of boyfriend. Like, So my relationships are literally everything I have. I think I'm a... I believe I'm a master negotiator. I believe I'm a master um, relationship builder. I nurture relationships. I have a whole spreadsheet. Like if I've had a conversation with you, you're probably in my spreadsheet. You know what I mean? I'm very meticulous. Um, and so for me, having a personal brand gives you power. It gives you leverage, right? You are able to justify why you are the best in your market, the knowledge that you know, like why you're an authority in your industry. And cool, smart, interesting people are attracted to cool, smart, interesting people. So it's like, it also allows you to showcase, like, I'm not one dimensional. Mm -hmm. I like canoeing and I like knitting and I take real estate courses part-time in addition to what you guys see. I like what you said early in the conversation about how are you going to know your market value if you're not out in the market showcasing your skills, right? You want to know what you are attracting by putting yourself out there. Okay. So now walk me through an engagement with one of your clients. Say I hire you and I'm interested in building a platform for myself. Where do I start? Where do you start in building a platform? Um, Before anyone decides to sell something, I think one thing that I've noticed is that people want to build platforms because like they automatically think like money. But before that, you need to build a community. Mm. Before that, you need to acquire storytelling skills. Before that, you need to be self-aware. Like there's like levels to this, right? So like the first thing is like, do you even know who you are? You know what I mean? Like how vulnerable or transparent are you willing to be? Because once you become a public figure, once you have an online platform, you're vulnerable to have uh, critics. 
right? So do you have tough skin, mm. right? How are you going to handle negative comments? Like there are some other things to consider besides the upside. Cause I think people think that it's like, it's super cool and I can post pretty pictures, but what's going to happen when, you know, I've definitely had a stalker before, you know, I definitely had, you know, people in my DMs disagreeing with what I'm saying. I've def- like, you have to really be self-aware and emotionally intelligent to really understand like, how am I going to handle both sides of things? Should they ever happen? Mm. Um, storytelling is the most critical component of building an online community, right? Before you can sell anything, you need to have the emotional buy-in of your tribe, right? And that means that your tribe needs to feel connected to you on a very human level. So it's not about just showcasing, you know, the work that you're doing and your accomplishments. It's also showcasing um, the work that is unattractive and messy as well. Um, And I don't think a lot of people necessarily want to do that, but it's, it's, definitely been the cornerstone of why I've been able to build a tribe over the last decade that is so incredibly loyal. Kevin Kelly has a theory called the 1000 true fans theory. And so he mentions that you only need a thousand true fans in order to make a living from your success. And like, that is something I keep very close to me because then it kind of justifies. I'm like, you know what? Like, even though I have I, on Instagram, I have 20k, but I have you know peers that have hundreds and hundreds of thousands, and you know, but I'm still able to like bank a lot more than them. You know what I mean? Like, I still run circles around them, and so for me, it's like, what is the level of engagement, and how like how connected am I with the people that follow me? Because for someone to tune into your channel, like they don't have to do that. They're not obligated to do that. Right. So if someone chooses to do that, you better like give them a show. You better, you know, entertain or educate or enlighten them, like make it worth their time and they'll be back. Mm. Yeah. When you said that, it reminded me of, this was a couple years ago where there's an Instagrammer who had a million plus followers, but could not share or sell enough t-shirts for a launch. Millions of people wouldn't spend the $10 or whatever it was for t-shirts on her, which just pulls into question, why are you on that platform if you don't have a a true tribe? Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, so now there's the, the question of what do I say and how do I say it? How do you coach your clients through that? Well, how do I coach my clients through that? So we start by talking about What is the conversation that you'd like to contribute to? What is the problem that you are solving? Who are you even speaking to? I feel like you can't necessarily help someone that you don't understand. So like understanding like who's your primary and secondary um, audience. Um, But I also encourage them to just be themselves, right? I think it's important to hone in on your brand voice, right? So are you serious and sophisticated? Are you the home girl? Are you funny and entertaining? Like what is your brand identity online? Mm -hmm. Right? Like I would say for me, I code switch a lot. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I travel so much to different parts of the world and I travel so much to the States that sometimes I end up picking up the accents of my friends and like me and my audience have a chuckle. Um, Sometimes, you know, I'm super... Uh, I, my childhood nickname was Oreo. So sometimes I can talk to you like on that level. And other times I'm just, you know, I'm like the girl, I'm your girlfriend next door. And I'm just talking like, we'll talk to any of my, any of my homies or any of my girlfriends that like, you know, that check for me. So it's like, I've adapted this, you know, me and my audience have done this dance over time. So I think, again, it's a level of self-awareness, right? Like your audience will adapt to 
how I I won't say you train them, but like, you know, like you want to be consistent with whatever identity or voice that you're honing in on. And you want that to be authentic and true to yourself. Like if you're naturally silly, if you're naturally playful, then that's what they're going to love about you. Right. If you're always, if you're serious and sophisticated and that's your vibe too, cool. That's not wrong. There's no right or wrong answer here. It's just about staying true to you and not feeling you have to be someone different in order to fulfill someone else's need. Like that's not... That's not the wave. That's not the way you want to go because you will have to maintain that and be consistent with that. And ultimately you'll be so unhappy. So for me, like, it's just, I do whatever feels very natural to me because honestly, like trying too hard is just, it's very annoying. And I'm, I just, I don't need any added stress. No, it's exhausting to be someone you're not. If you're constantly putting on a show, man, you have to remember what character am I putting on? It's just better to exactly. be you. Exactly. But Pollyanna, you do so much. Why, why do you go so hard? And how do you bring a sense of balance to it all? I do so much, but I have the help of a team. Mm. Um, I think people need to learn how to delegate very early in the game before I could even afford a team. So for instance, a lot of my paycheck went to paying staff members so that while I was at work, the projects can still go, right? Um, and still be executed. Um, before I needed an assistant, like I was already thinking... I was already looking at my business and my companies as million as a million dollar empire before I even hit a dollar. Mm-hmm. Like, so I put people and systems in place so that when I got to that point, when I got to a point where like I needed them, I already had them. So I go hard and I have a lot on my plate, but I have amazing staff. I've had an assistant for four years. Um, I have someone on my team that just, she's super young, smart, sharp. And she just helps me with my ideas. I have writers, I have project managers, like, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, so I'm able to do a lot because I have help. Um, The other thing is why I go so hard. I think it's important for everyone to just like, really in those quiet moments um, that you have with yourself, whenever that occurs, for me, it's like mainly in the morning, you know, just remember what's important. You know, I have two aging parents. I have two siblings um, that I'm very close to. Um, If you have been in a situation where you have weathered financial storms, I mean, just not being broke is the reason why you should go so hard, right? Like who ever wants to experience that again, you know? So for me, it's just a matter of like, I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be suicidal. Um, I don't want to disappoint people around me. Um, as someone who's a, a mentor to so many women, um, my mentorship program, we've, we've, we is me. I've mentored over 200 women in 10 countries um, that I, I'm very, very active with. I talk to on a regular basis. And so a lot of people depend on me. So it's like, I have to, I can't just talk about it. I have to be about it. And I have to live my life in a way that people can look at me or they can hear my name and be like, that bitch works hard. Right. Um, the other thing, the final thing I'll say is that I'm someone's future wife, right? Like I would hope that whoever I am going to marry or spend the rest of my life with, don't know if we're getting married. That's a whole other conversation. Um, who I choose to spend my life with, I would hope they're working just as hard so that when they come to the table, we meet each other halfway. And so in retrospect, when you think about the path you've taken to get where you are today and the way you've structured your life and your business, would you advise other entrepreneurs to follow in your footsteps as far as running more than one business or side hustle at a time? Um, no, because I didn't always run things simultaneously. I mastered one thing at a time. I don't feel like people 
um, invest the time to master their craft. And so I made sure that I was juggling one idea at a time and I established myself in the industry one at a time. Um, I think everyone's going to find their own formula and you only can figure what that is uh, through um, experimentation. Mm -hmm. It's trial and error. It's, you know, follow, I don't want to say following, that's the wrong word. It's reading the stories of successful people that have come before you. It's learning about their footprint, who was in their ear, who mentored them, what was their rise, what was their fall, what was their victory, what was their big failure, how did they... So like when you read the stories of successful people, it allows you to... It allows you to turn on that switch of like mental acuity. It allows you to be sharp. It allows you to be agile, to problem solve because subconsciously like you've like heard... You've been in you've almost like you've read about this scenario before, right? And you know, like this person handled it this way. So because this is on the table, because these factors are in front of me, I can do this and it should equate to this. Like, you know what I mean? So like, like I said, I absorb a lot of content. I try to study as much as I can. I think any entrepreneur should also carve time to study. If you, you don't even have to be in school, right? Carve time every week to just study your craft, to study business, expand your vocabulary. You want to be in a room. If you want to be in the room with high achievers, please believe that they're going to be speaking a language that you may not be familiar with. You need to know your environment. And so in order to do that, just stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So when you do walk into that room, that pitch meeting, that opportunity, you're negotiating a deal, you know, and you're well-equipped to handle the situation. That's a word. And with that, Pollyanna, thank you so much for dropping all of those gems on us. Thank you. Um, And I'm probably going to have to listen to this episode a few times just so I can make sure, you know, I'm actually noting them down and applying. But for anyone who's looking to follow your journey or even work more closely with you, where can they connect? Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. Someone was in my DMs recently and they said, how can I work for you? And I said, this is exactly the reason I wouldn't hire you. And it was interesting. I'm sure they were puzzled um, because if you know me, you know that many of my team members, they created their own rules. They saw a gap in my company and they brought an idea forward and they justified why they're the person to fulfill this idea. And they created their own role within my organization. So if you want to work for me, just ha- like, how can you add value to the team? How can you solve a problem? Um, and if you want to find me, I'm very, very accessible. My phone number, my email is on my Instagram. Um, will I always pick up your call? Don't know. But <laughs> but like, I'm pretty, honestly, I'm pretty accessible otherwise. Um, yeah. So you can just Google me. Okay. And we'll also put some of the contact in the show notes. But thank you so much, Pollyanna. I enjoyed this. Thank you. I'm so glad you made it to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and write us a review. As always, don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone who cares to listen. We'll talk to you next time.